Hey guys, welcome to this week I learned. First thing we're going to talk about is JavaScript proxies. Uh, a proxy in JavaScript allows us to add some sort of hooks uh, to objects. For example, if uh, we want to do something when an object when when a value in an object is being set or if you're extracting the value from that object. For example, if you want to calculate something and return that instead of the actual value from that object. So you can also use this for like simple pub sub actions, like if you want to subscribe to an object. Like if an object changes, an object's value a value in an object changes and it will inform all the um, all the other objects that are subscribed to it. Uh, you can use proxies for that. And also, it's also great for validation. For example, if you want to set the value of a particular value in an object, uh, you can use uh, proxies to actually guard uh, your object from data that is not valid. So it's a very powerful feature, which is native to JavaScript. So if you want to check it out, just uh, go over the MDN docs and search for JavaScript proxy. When we're building web applications, or actually any application, we want them to be as lightweight as possible. So the the acronym YAGNI applies to almost everything in in software development. So if you ain't gonna need it, don't actually build it. So sometimes when we actually don't need a backend server, we shouldn't really build one for an application. So sometimes our applications would be just purely static or maybe dynamic as single page applications. But what if you need forms for your web application? For example, if you want a landing page and want people to subscribe um, for an email, uh, yeah, an email newsletter so that they'd be informed of, uh, so they'd be informed if your product's already up and running. So, it's gonna be a problem if your site is just purely front-end because now where would you send the form data? You have no way of storing it. So there are a bunch of uh, tools we can use to circumvent this, but one of uh, the newer tools that I've seen is Formspree. Now Formspree allows us to uh, just add a form and send that data to Formspree, and Formspree will send that data to our email. So this requires us to actually log into Formspree, and we'll we'll receive uh, the email uh, with the data inside after we actually uh, after somebody actually uses the form. And then, uh, but it's not uh, all uh, you know. Perfect, but 
it actually has a pretty great free tier and if you want unlimited emails to be sent to you you need to pay ten dollars per month but that actually isn't that bad if when you think about it because you won't really need unlimited emails especially if you're starting out if you have budget you actually can pay for ten dollars and if you actually have the budget just build the back end right so that's basically it for form spray when you're working with anything asynchronous or if you are doing requests uh, external requests to uh, resources outside your network it's inevitable to work with promises because you're working with asynchronous stuff um, yeah, for example, if you want to actually send out a massive amount of requests, you might want to put them into an array and uh, make those fetch requests. So, and then you can, after, after all of the promises in that array has been resolved, you can then start working on it. Now, the problem is, usually we'd be working with promise.all when we're working with promises that are inside of an array. The problem here is that it will actually wait for every promise inside the array to be resolved before it actually returns you the array full of the values that have been resolved. So if it throws an error or something, inside while well, well, it's processing you're gonna be having a problem so and also it will take a long while for example if you have a million uh, promises in that array it's gonna take a while so one solution there is the pattern of for a wait of so instead of waiting for doing an await promise that all call on that array full of promises which will wait for the whole uh, for the whole array of promises to resolve, it will actually get each promise one by one, and then wait for it to resolve. And then the moment it does resolve, it, you can in, event, uh, immediately use it. So you don't need to wait for the whole array, which it will take probably maybe a whole time, especially if there's a lot of them. You don't you don't have to wait for that. You only have to get one promise at a time, wait for it to resolve, and then use that value. And then just continue with the rest of the values in that array. So it's a pretty um, nice uh, technique to use when you're working with promises. <laughs> Next thing we'll talk about is Clementine. So it's it Clementine is a very handy tool which allows you to which which helps you to actually build the application specs for your application. So and then after you have built your specs, yeah, it is actually a bunch of templates and uh, it actually guides you through the process of building your specs. And then at the very end of it, it uh, gives you an estimate cost for building your application. Um, the only downside is that the cost is in, 
in dollars. So like it, if if you're from the Philippines, it's probably not gonna be um, that helpful. But at least you'll have a, a good aspect to some extent. So if you ever have to deal with um, application costing or building your uh, app specs and you're dealing with clients uh, outside of the country, Clementine is actually pretty great. If you're building a web application in Python, you'd usually, you'd normally think about Django or Flask or maybe just a plain HTTP server. But a new contender has come up and it proves to be uh, a very promising alternative to most of those and it's called Vibra. Um, it's uh, from just visitor site, just search Vibra Python server and you'll see in their site that there's, uh, the, it's pretty fast. Vibra is pretty fast. And the, the API is based on Flask, so it's not that difficult to actually uh, take it out for a spin if you're already familiar with Flask, which isn't actually that hard to learn. And its magnitudes, uh, it's uh, many orders of magnitude faster than most, um, than most web frameworks on Python out there. Like, yeah like Flask, uh, Flask or Django or Scenic. So it, it is pretty fast actually. Uh, one downside is that um, their PyPI repository is not updated. So if you want to get the latest version, you have to compile for master. So that's a downside. But I hope they fix that soon. And if they do, it, Vibra is actually a pretty good contender. Next thing we'll be talking about is transfer.sh. This command line application allows us to share files for free without actually leaving our terminals. So you transfer the files in the terminals. How does that work? You just go to their site transfer.sh and then follow the instructions there for installation and you'll have, you'll get a transfer uh, binary. No, it's actually an uh, alias for a script. And then you can use that, that command to upload files from your terminal as long as you have access to it. So if you have a file uh, blank.txt, you can use transfer blank.txt and then it will show an up uploading um, you know, ASCII art on your terminal and then it will give you the link to that file afterwards. Uh, the link lasts for 14 days and it can be as big as 10 gigabytes. Um, that may sound like a limitation, but think about this. It's actually free, so you don't, you don't actually have to pay for that. Even if it just lasts for 14 days uh, for, for intermediate transfers, that's actually pretty great. So if you're a terminal, terminal guy and uh, you want to transfer files without actually opening up and dragging and dropping files into your browser, transfer.sh is for you.
Next thing we'll talk about is SaleCI. Uh, SaleCI is a hosted CI solution, no, continuous integration and continuous deployment delivery solution that is pretty cheap, easy to use, and is a great free tier. Uh, so it's a hosted solution, so you don't have to spin it up yourself. You just have to set it up. And you have a thousand build minutes per month, which is actually pretty good. Uh, when compared to, um, I don't know, like Bitbucket, uh, which has just an hour of build minutes per month. What the hell, right? So, uh, SaleCI is pretty easy to set up. So, you ha just have to install Sale. So, just um, for instructions, go to sale.sh and you'll get your instructions there. But anyway, just go to your project directory, run sale in it, and then define your pipeline in a sale file, and that's it. You're set up. Um, the problem is it only currently supports GitHub, but if we see more growth in, the, in this project, we'll definitely see support on other, um, other vendors like GitLab and Bitbucket. So that's it for sale CI. Everybody procrastinates. There is no exception. The only ones who don't are the mythical creatures and anything that doesn't exist. So even the most productive people have procrastinated in their lives, but now they're uh, pretty good at managing that. And they're pretty motivated. So it's, uh, procrastination is like a sickness. It has a cause, right? So we actually have to find that cause in order to deal with it. Because if you don't know what caused something, how can you actually end it? You'll just be dealing with the symptoms. But you have to hit it at the root. So how do we actually know why we procrastinate? Well, good news, everyone. There's actually a tool called Why Do I Procrastinate? It's actually whydoiprocrastinate.com. So just go there and check it out. The, the site actually asks you some questions and tries to figure out why you're procrastinating. And after that, it helps you by giving you recommendations on what to do in order for you to stop uh, the habit of procrastination and get yourself working uh, to do the stuff that you actually need to be done with. TensorFlow.js took the web world by storm by being an easy to use library, uh, machine learning library for the web, um, being uh, the replacement for DeepLearn.js. Actually, DeepLearn.js is now a part of TensorFlow.js. But still, uh, not a lot of people who want to get into um, machine learning from the uh, web world, from the web community, know how to actually deal uh, with using TensorFlow.js because not everyone understands the concept of layers and um, the nodes, neurons. So it's uh, still, to some extent, difficult to uh, to use these um, tools, even though they've already been abstracted to some extent. ML5.js is a new tool that wraps around TensorFlow.js 
and makes the usual stuff, the common stuff, like image classification, much, much easier. So if you want to try out machine learning on the web, but you haven't uh, tried out Dunsell before, and you think that Tensor4.js is uh, a bit daunting, try out ml5.js. Just search for it, ml5.js. When working on the web, especially on the development environment, one of the worst things, one of the most annoying things ever is needing HTTPS locally and being unable to actually have it. Like uh, for features like service workers and uh, yeah, mostly service workers and uh, most of the things that are needed in a progressive web app, you need HTTPS for them to work. Now, the, the problem is you can't do that pretty easily on the dev environment locally. So uh, you can actually do it, but it's a pretty annoying process, so not a lot of people do it. But luckily, some, uh, some people have built tools for this. One such tool is MKCert, which allows us to actually create a locally, uh, well, create a locally created, a locally signed SSL certificate. So, and then it's a zero config tool, so you just have to run mkcert, and then it generates uh, an HTTPS, uh, an SSL certificate for you to use locally. Uh, that's one thing that, uh, that you shouldn't be thinking about anymore. So you just run mkcert and rid yourself of the problem of needing uh, tons of work to deal with SSL certificates locally on your dev environment. Once upon a time, we had no choice but to actually pay for SSL certificates. So because we need to generate them and then get them signed to some uh, certification authority, which is uh, most of the time paid. Back then we didn't have choice uh, choices available for us to actually um, avoid that kind of situation, to avoid paying for SSL certificates. But uh, recent and during the recent years, we've had Let's Encrypt. Which allows us, which allowed us to uh, create certificates and sign it with them for free, for no cost at all, other than our effort. The problem is that effort, even if it is free, sometimes it is quite a hassle to actually um, create a certificate and have it signed by uh, Let's Encrypt because uh, there is still a lot of steps being uh, involved. But again, uh, people have built tools to help us uh, to rid us of this problem and one of those tools is get, H get HTTPS for free uh, it's at gethttpsforfree.com and it guides you through the process of creating a certificate an SSL certificate and then getting it signed with let's encrypt so it, it's a pretty easy process it guides you through it 
uh, you just copy and paste the commands and just change uh, them a little bit depends on your situation. Uh, for example, if you're on Linux or on OS X or on Mac OS or on Windows or whatever. So it guides you through the process and at the very end you'll have your very own uh, Let's Encrypt signed SSL certificates that you can use for your site. Um, one thing to note is that it's not particularly pretty. So uh, I just recently discovered this uh, project and then I've tried I've tried to you know as a side note as a side project redesign the whole thing so if you want to help me uh, redesign HTTP, get HTTPS for free you're very, well, very welcome just visit my um, github account uh, github.com slash John Paul Ada the repo is there for get HTTPS for free redesign again all help is welcome. Developing applications, we usually focus on the happy path. Uh, by that, I mean we usually focus on how the application should be behaving. But sometimes we forget that applications fail, our programs fail. Um, sometimes due to reasons that are uh, that we did not anticipate, or sometimes failures that we anticipate. So, for example, when uh, when a user types in uh, something that is invalid, so that's an uh, that's a problem. But uh, that's uh, not how your application should be behaving. So instead of just focusing on the happy path on how our our applications uh, should work, we also should uh, have the how it will handle the errors when they actually happen it should also be a part of our application planning so railway oriented programming is an approach which thinks about those two paths so in your program pipeline you will have two paths so you have the happy path the success path or the failure path and the error path and there the two always exist so it's not only one or the other in railway-oriented programming, the, the both of those exist. Uh, I mean, there are two paths at the onset. So each function will accept hap, uh, ha, uh, a happy path and an error path, and then also output those two. So, so that's the approach of railway-oriented programming. This approach to programming is very well suited to functional programming because uh, we have the ability to define um, types in functional programming and well in most functional programming languages like um, F sharp F sharp Haskell or the uh, you know OCaml and then the more recent reason ML so it's pretty uh, it's a pretty great um, paradigm methodology of programming if you're in functional programming languages 
But even in, in partial partial functional programming languages, you know, the semi-pure functional programming languages, uh, you can also do that. Like for example, in JavaScript. So if you're interested in doing railway-oriented programming, check out my library called Bacano, uh, B-A-C-C-A-N-O, um, which allows you to take your normal functions and convert, convert them into functions uh, that are that can be used for railway-oriented programming. And you can put them all in a pipeline. That you can put all those compatible uh, functions in the pipeline and uh, have your application implement railway-oriented programming and all its benefits. So if you want to try this out again, my uh, search for railway-oriented programming, the original, the original uh, video slides by Scott Lashen, uh, the one who created uh, F# -sharp for fun and profit. So the original uh, language that was this was used for was F# -sharp, but I tried to adapt it into into JavaScript. So if you want to try again, my library is called Bacano, B-A-C-C-A-N-O. Because you know railways and the Bacano anime was on a mostly held on a train. So yeah, again, it's railway-oriented programming. So remember that it's a pretty great way to program. ReasonML is a great, pretty awesome language created by Jordan Walk, the same guy who created React at Facebook. So it's uh, not an understatement to say that I've been obsessed with it uh, ever since I've uh, heard of it during uh, while watching Cheng Lu's talk during React Conf 2017 last year. I've been dying to try it out ever since and I've only uh, got had had a time to actually try it out this year and I've been obsessed with it and been building things left and right with ReasonML and I've actually tried building a library um, for maybe monads with uh, for reason. So as much as in as much as I was super interested with ReasonML, I tried uh, finding if there are communities in the Philippines uh, with regards to ReasonML. So on Facebook, because that's where I usually hang. Uh, but the problem was I didn't find a community in the Philippines uh, for ReasonML. And so I actually built one. So if, uh, if you're interested in Reason, and you're from the Philippine, Philippines, uh, well, even if you're not from the Philippines and if you're interested in ReasonML, check out ReasonML Philippines. Just search it on Facebook, ReasonML Philippines. And we uh, feel free to actually join us there and share what you know or actually just even just read uh, the stuff there, the, the stuff I post there. I'm most um, usually the one just posting uh, stuff in there. But I post uh, the stuff that I find interesting about reason in there are things that are related to reason so that if, if uh, people who are interested in reason join, they have something to learn. And yeah, I also post projects that I've built with reason there. 
Um, so uh, it will probably not be uh, that quiet of a place. So calling all people who are into Reason ML, uh, please don't hesitate to actually visit Reason ML Philippines. Thank you. That's it for this episode of This Week. I learned it's been a while since I uh, posted and actually did the podcast. But um, it's been a pretty busy uh, couple of weeks. I've been doing experiments on ReasonML. Yeah, mostly ReasonML. And I've been doing some pretty interesting, um, pretty interesting projects and uh, a bit of research on some stuff. So it's never boring. I well, I try to be not bored. And then I've been hooked on manga for a while now. So and I've been rum- rummaging through all the tutorials that I've had for so long, but never actually read like Elixir and then Phoenix. I've also been uh, busy uh, doing exercises on exorcism on F sharp. And Elixir at Go, so I've been doing a bunch of things. Also meeting up with some developers and talking about stuff. So it's been a bit busy. So I hope next time I'll have uh, next week I'll have the time again to talk about uh, a bunch of stuff that I've learned. I've already I already have a bunch of stuff to talk about, but I hope that the list grows uh, before next week. So again, thank you guys for listening, and see you all next time.